everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Challenge Flags and Corner Flags. Today, Jay and I are really excited to uh, get to the latest in uh, world football, as well as a little bit of bonus NBA content. Um, so, Jay, you know, there was some huge games, not many games in quantity, but definitely huge as, as far as the importance of the prize. First, uh, last week, earlier in the week, we had the Europa League final between Man United and Villarreal. So I know you got to see that game. What were some of your initial reactions? Um, the United-Villarreal game. So if you, for those that didn't see the game, the game ended with Villarreal coming out on top 2-1 um, in, in penalties. Uh, the penalties were quite crazy. It was like 12-11, and De Gea missed the, the final penalty uh, to – or I think it was – was it 11-10 or 12-11? I guess I'm... Um, I think it was 11-10. Yeah, that makes more sense. It was like, I think I had the math wrong in my head. But De Gea missed that penalty for and United lost. Um, the game itself, you know, United clearly didn't bring their best because they are miles better than Villarreal. Uh, and I think, I mean, if anything that shows like a great discrepancy between the Spanish league and the English league, this, especially this year, um, their Villarreal, I think finished in, in like fifth place or something. So, uh, so you, you would think that they'd be a little better, but United should have probably won this handedly, but they just didn't, I don't know. There's something, something was not there. Something was missing, uh, for them. Uh, the only thing is for United, I will say that this result was a lose-lose situation for United. The whole game was. Uh, I think if they had won the game, it would have been seen like, oh, you just beat Villarreal. Like, that's, that means nothing. You know, Europa League means nothing. You played pretty subpar opponents throughout the whole thing. Um, and if they had, and, and they lost this, and now you're seeing as, oh, how did you lose this game to this team? Like, there was, there was not really a, there's not really a winning stance for United, regardless of the result of the game. What did you see from the game, Michael? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And I feel like that had to have come into it a little bit for Man United, is that at the end of the day, they're a club with a long history of winning, and they haven't been able to reach that or even come close to that for the past 10 years, which has been like a huge point of shame for the club and its fan base. And, you know, Europa League even a Europa League win is not, again, up to their standards. But at the same time, you know, you would hope that that Solskjaer would have talked to his team and really stressed the importance because for him, keeping his job, it, it would have been an enormous boost uh, just because it is still considered a major trophy anyway. Um, but at the same time, I mean, everyone's human and, these players know they're at a big-time club and they have big-time goals, and they may have overlooked Villarreal a little bit. Um, I think that there's there was an interesting statistic I saw go by about Spanish teams in finals against English sides have only lost one time or something. Maybe that was particularly to the Europa League, but it was kind of startling there. Yeah, what, what's up? Oh, so they so they were basically bound to lose. Like so, we we should have, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that Man United 
should be obviously disappointed. And for me, it's hilarious. I loved it. I love the fact that they lost. Uh, but at the same time, like, I feel like there's a difference between just getting completely outclassed and losing the game versus losing like they did. I mean, it came down to the 11th penalty kick in a shootout. Like, that's one of those games where, like, at the, you know, you're playing Sunday league, uh, pick up games, and you just got to respect your opponent at the end of the day. Just realize that there was nothing separating you on that day at that time. Unfortunately for these two teams, it was a major league final, so they had to declare a winner. They had to do it. So after hours of action, Dehea, a goalkeeper, was forced to take a penalty kick, and he did exactly what you would expect him to do, which is just hit it soft and on target. He just making sure he got it on target. Uh, but it was actually, I also thought it was really funny watching the shootout how bad some of the save attempts were from both keepers. Both of them were letting the ball like hit their hands and just go off into the goal. A lot of the penalties were really good, but some of them were also just incredibly savable. Um, and so I think that the biggest storyline coming out of this game for me is actually the fact that I think De Gea, in my opinion, is probably done with the first team at Man United. Um, whether that means that he gets demoted to the bench full-time or he moves on to another club. Uh, I'm not sure yet, but I think he's done with the first team at Man United. Who's the replacement? Um, I don't, I'm not sure who it could be. I, I will agree with you that, especially on the on the De Gea side, a lot of, or especially on the uh, Villarreal side, uh, a lot of their penalties were very savable. <laughs> um, the, the penalty shootout could have ended a lot earlier, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, the result was was still Villarreal winning. Uh, but yeah, where, where does, where does De Gea end up? Like or yeah. what, what does United do? Yeah. Well, for United, I think that they still have the rights to Dean Henderson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I think that he would be their new guy. As for De Gea, I would probably have to think about like, who's looking for a keeper. Like maybe if, if like, uh, for example, um, some maybe like if AC Milan is on is looking for a keeper or something, I could see him going to there. So I think he'll still like compete with a good club, but I just think that this was the final straw, and I think it it could be a mutually beneficial split. Actually, you know, kind of like the Courtois Chelsea split was mutually beneficial. Chelsea have Mendy now; they're very happy. Courtois is playing some of his best um, football with Chelsea, uh, sorry, with Real Madrid. So I think it could be a mutually beneficial split, actually, for these two to, to part ways. Well, it wasn't wasn't happy for Chelsea for a little while. I mean, originally they had Kepa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. He was he was, you know, the the player manager is becoming very popular, and actually Kepa really, you know, epitomized that as as the goalkeeper manager. Um, famously, you know, he was he was asked to come off the pitch and just flat out refuse in one of the most hilarious moments in, in soccer in my lifetime. I just flipped on that game for fun. And I was like, and I saw this, like, it was like one of the, I think a minute before that happened, like when I flipped it on. So when I saw it, I was like, wait, refusing to come off, isn't he? And then he like messed something up during the penalty shootout. It was just 
I mean, Hollywood couldn't write that script. Yeah. The hilarious part was that I think that they were trying to sub him off for Willie Caballero, who is an ex-City backup keeper. And City used to always use him in like the, you know, Carabao Cup, whatever um, uh, competitions. Of course, Carabao Cup is the most important competition in football, but others like, you know, FA Cup, whatever, that, you know, we, we didn't want to use our first goalkeeper for. So we would use Caballero. And every time I saw him face a penalty, like he would, he did it fantastic. He saved so many penalties. I've seen it with my own eyes. I don't know if he's not actually that good, but in penalties, he's actually really, really good. So if Keppa probably, if Keppa didn't refuse to come off, they actually would have won that shootout in my mind. Yeah. Well, I guess it wasn't a very meaningful competition. Wasn't it like community shield or something of that? Yeah, I think it was. Um, Yeah, but well, for the manager, sorry, at that time, that was like really embarrassing and sad because like any trophy when you're a manager on the hot seat is, is really important. And also just to put on full public display that you have no control over the, over the team room was pretty sad for him. Well, back to United. Um, the only thing that I'd be concerned about at United is they had like a pretty solid season that they were they were putting together. Does this halt any momentum that they have going into next season? The fact that they sort of laid an egg during this game, like didn't play to their potential in a cup final? Yeah, I think that you could probably argue either way. For me, I don't feel that way um, just because I feel like the season has had been winding down for a long time for them you know, where they actually started out really well and were really good in the middle of the season. And then towards the end, they kind of tapered off. Um, The good news is that they didn't land completely flat, actually. They managed to stay solidly in second place in the Premier League, which, again, it all comes back, I think, to your expectations at the beginning of the season. And if you ask most people at the beginning of the season, they probably would have said, yeah, I think it's, you know, City, then Liverpool, then Leicester. United might have been a fourth uh, or a fifth in many people's mind. But no, they in fact finished second in the Premier League. And they came really, really close, actually, to, to capturing a European trophy. So for me, I think that they can, you know, keep their heads high, keep moving forward. And part of that is because we know they're going to bring in new names this summer. Um, you know, who knows, maybe they could, they could even get a a Sancho or someone of that level. So I think that there's, uh, mostly positive takeaways from this season. We knew it wasn't going to be a instant rebuild back to their old form, but actually I think they're ahead of schedule. So I think that they, they can carry on. That's fair. I guess I didn't think about like, I guess a lot of new faces coming in that would kind of hit the uh, symbolic reset button. But uh, either way, congrats to Villarreal. Uh, it's, it's a little silver lining for La Liga, which has otherwise an atrocious year um, <laughs> for their standards. So, I mean, we expect this type of thing from the French League or even even Syria for a while was down in the dumps like this for a while. But it's, it's really uncharacteristic. From uh, there was a there was a point where I believe Atleti, Barca, and I think it was 2017. Atleti, Barca, and 
and Real were all in the semifinals of the Champions League and Sevilla won the Europa League. Like, I don't know what it's going to take to, like, get back to something like that. Uh, but, and like, all mm-hmm. three of those teams were seen as, like, top, top six clubs at that time. Um, I don't know what it's going to take to get back to that, but um, we'll see what, how the summer unfolds for a lot of those uh, big Spanish clubs. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting because for Letty, you can ask, you know, how much of this success can actually be sustained versus was a flash in the pan? Like Suarez, how many good years does he have left? That sort of thing. And then for Barcelona, obviously, there's a huge messy question. If he goes, how do you end up using that money? Or if he stays, you know, who else can you surround him with? And then today, actually, um, or yesterday slash today um, during the night, it was determined that Carlo Ancelotti is going to take over at Real Madrid. So that'll be interesting. We know Zidane has always been their like luck charm during the Champions League, but as far as domestic play, they never really were quite happy with him at the helm. So this will be really interesting because Ancelotti, I think, is someone that most people respect as a manager, but he didn't really show us anything spectacular in charge of Everton. So. I was a bit surprised. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Ancelotti at Madrid. I don't know. I It's a really, like, it's it's kind of like this, it's kind of like the Komen hiring, I feel like, in the sense of, like, you don't really know what to, what you're going to, like, what we're going to get um, from this. Because, sure, there were, I feel like there were a lot of, there's a lot of positives about, about Ancelotti, um, but, I also do, I'm a little concerned considering that Everton did start off so strong and it seemed like they had the potential to challenge for top four um, and they, they just kind of fell off. So we'll see, we'll see what they can, what, what uh, Ancelotti does with the more uh, talented and more, and a more uh, wealthy team in, uh, in Real Madrid. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. And I, I will um, say, uh, I was going to say Messi is actually prepared to sign another two-year contract. So, okay. In a crazy twist of everything, it looks like Messi is going to stay for another two years. So, so for you, are you happy about that? Or are you actually, um, would you actually rather him leave at this point? How do you feel? Uh, I think it's, I think it's fine that he stays. I mean, I want him to retire here and he clearly he's not like, or I guess European retire. Um, I know he could go somewhere else and mess around for three, four, four, five more years. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like he, he should stay at Barca through his like entire European career. I just feel like we need to, especially before the sake of the team and for the sake of his health, um, we need to like rest him every five or six games, um, have games where Messi's like healthy, but not playing. And so the team learns how to play without him. And I feel like that's what I've been asking for years and years. Cause I feel like the offense goes stagnant a lot. Um, when, when Messi's up there because they expect Messi to do everything or when, even when Messi's like, once in a while out of the game. I, I feel like that's, that's really what I want to see for them from them. I think they can, they clearly have the talent. I just don't think they have. Um, I just don't, I just think that there's something like mentally blocking about like Messi 
like supposedly carrying the weight of everything when he really hasn't ne- needed to in his career, even if it seemed like it. He's he's been around talented teams his whole life, and and then on those talented teams, everybody's done their parts, and it feels like not everybody's doing their part on these current Barca teams. Yeah, for me as an outsider, so I'm not a Barcelona fan, so I have no like emotional attachment to Messi and his really storybook career he's had with Barcelona. So for me as an outsider, I thought the split made sense because I thought that for Messi, like his best case scenario is that he wins another La Liga with Barcelona. He helps them win another La Liga because they're miles and miles away in the Champions League, especially with the way other teams are ascending. Your cities, your Bayerns, PSG, Chelsea. The Barcelona, I think, are miles away, and they're not going to get that in the next two years. So I think for Messi, it would have been pretty cool in my mind for him to actually move on somewhere and compete for another European trophy. And then for Barcelona, I feel like it, it could have made sense this is a safe play for them because obviously Messi is the best player in the world and, you know, he'll, he'll likely lead them to another La Liga title in the next two years. But at the same time, moving on from him would have freed up an unbelievable amount of cash, which they could have chosen to do many things with. Get three or four players where they used to just be having one Messi and also just turn the page on what's been a pretty tumultuous last few years. Um, and just, like I said, just try and turn the page and start a new chapter in Barcelona. So I thought actually the split would have made sense, but definitely don't blame Messi for wanting to, to get that uh, retirement in Barcelona. And obviously, if you're Barcelona, if the best player in the world is waiting um, to give you his signature, you definitely don't refuse it. So that, that That's a pretty interesting development. I'm surprised he didn't decide to like... Um... I'm surprised he didn't decide to sign like a, a, or he could have gone somewhere else and like signed a one day contract to retire at Barcelona. You know, they do that in, um, in Mm -hmm. football a lot. Um, I could have done something like that if he really wanted to retire here. But, um, I will say, uh, I was, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about all the like injuries and some of the lone players we had out. Um, I actually think there's, there's a lot to look forward to for Barca, Messi or no Messi. Um, which looks like it'll be messy at this point, but, um, but like there's other, like um, this, uh, this right back Emerson, um, we found him on loan. He looks like he's going to be finally what we're looking for from a fullback position. Um, and Fati's coming back at some point this calendar year. I don't know if it'll be immediately at the beginning of the season. So that's, I think there's, there's a lot of things still to look forward to. And I forgot that we were a bit hobbled um, this year uh, in terms of some of our more contributing players. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, there was one other big game that took place on Saturday. Now, I – so we're talking about the Champions League final between Man City and Chelsea. This was Guardiola's first chance at claiming a um, Champions League trophy for about 10 years. And it was Chelsea's chance to win their second in their club history with their relatively new manager, Thomas Tuchel, in charge. Um, Tuchel, of course, lost the Champions League final with PSG just last season. So I actually didn't get to watch this game because I was driving cross-country. 
but I did watch the extended highlights and I chose not to watch the full game recap because why would I want 90 minutes of pain <laughs> uh, <laughs> as opposed to 15 minutes of pain? So I chose the 15 minutes of pain and it was awful. But anyway, let's talk about this game. Ah, uh, yes. I, you can only imagine the satisfaction uh, I feel in, in after, after all the teasing of, of how, how City was going to slip up at some point, and it, it actually happened. I really actually didn't expect it to happen against Chelsea of all opponents. But, uh, but I guess I'll ask you, I, I also did not watch the full game live. Um, I watched... I watched a, a full game recap, though. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm I, sure you did. <laughs> uh, but I will, uh, I will ask this. This is a classic question that gets thrown around, and you, usually the answer is somewhat of both. But is it was was this game more credit to Chelsea, and or was it um, or was it blame to City's preparation and tactics? That's a really good question. And again, like you said, it's obviously some of both. But for me, if I had to pick one side, I'm choosing to credit Chelsea on this day because obviously City, or rather you could say Guardiola, made some really questionable team selections. But at the end of the day, Chelsea are supposed to be a team in rebuilding. They look like they have potential and they might even be ahead of schedule but they're supposed to be a team in rebuild and Man City are supposed to be the undisputed best team in the world. And they've demonstrated that over the past five to seven years. And, you know, regardless of who was where, Foden was in the midfield instead of left wing, Gundo was playing defensive mid instead of Bernardino or Rodri, it doesn't matter. City just have playmakers all over the field who know how to play with each other. Um, for the first time in a long time, they have a really strong center back pairing. So there, there should be no excuses. Um, but the fact is that Chelsea just played in a really, really amazing game, like in terms of game plan and individual play. So Conte obviously was everywhere, shutting down the entire center of the park. Um, Reese James absolutely pocketed Sterling. He had seven tackles on him. Christensen probably doesn't get enough credit. He came in for Thiago Silva and played a really good defensive game. Mendy had a nice outlet pass that led to the goal. Mason Mount's ball that led to the goal was perfect. Um, Timo Werner for all the slander, like he missed a lot of like easy chances as usual, but actually um, he did a lot of other great things during the game, you know, high work rate and setting up other players. So for me, uh, I, I really credit Chelsea. No matter what mistakes City may have made in their lineup, Chelsea were definitely the underdogs, and they came to play and they did everything they needed to do. So credit to Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I was gonna say mostly credit to Chelsea because uh, as well. So I was gonna basically agree with you. I was, I had the same things where I had Reese James, Conte, Christensen. I mean, Christensen if. If I wasn't watching the game live, but if Thiago Silva like limped off and I saw Christensen come in, I was like, they're done. It's over. Um, it's like, but he was, I was like, oh, D- Demi Kalis is coming on, basically. 
he held him he held down um with uh rudiger rudiger made some great tackles by the way there were a lot of there were some chances that it was like it could have been like in the first like 30 minutes or so it could have been like two three no um there were some great last ditch tackles from chelsea um yeah rudiger 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 is the one who like smashed up de bruyne's eye socket so I, 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 it's physically not possible for me to make a positive comment about Rudiger, unfortunately. That's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, poor De Bruyne. I, I will say this. Yeah. The the only reason I will blame City is because they had a literal super team, uh, and, and they it was like David played Goliath, uh, type of thing. Uh, I don't know how. I don't. I, I feel like Pep's been. He Pep's won this champ, this thing before, even if it wasn't at City. And I just, I really thought if Pep would have them, have them better to go. Um, would have them ready to go type of thing. And I, I was, was a little disappointed by by that. Uh, and and I, I want to give most of the credit to Chelsea, but I also have to mention the fact that they had a super team and they, they it feels like they they, they really messed up that this chance. So would you say Pep overthought this game plan? Yes or no? Um, I mean, you were talking about it with Foden being in the midfield type of thing. I thought that was a strange choice given, like, I mean, I always, I, well, some of my friends use this phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so I was a little confused with some of the lineup choices. And I, I do think he overthought it a little bit. Um, and I, I think that I don't know if that would have I mean, Chelsea still might have won, given the, the I like I said they played a fantastic game. Um, and Chelsea still might have won, but I I have to I have to say that Pep definitely overthought some things. Yeah. So for me, I think in hindsight he did obviously overthink it. Um, a lot of people are talking about the exclusion of any sort of traditional defensive mid so no inclusion of Rodri and then Fernandinho didn't come on until after the 60th minute which was pretty much Pep admitting his mistake Uh, but of course then they're already trailing the game and for me I'm fine with excluding Fernandinho but I do think Rodri actually should have been included because some of his passing statistics are actually top of the Premier League so He's not the most flashy guy, but he's been a, you know, absolute anchor for City all year. And the problem was that Gundogan was actually the midfielder who was forced to fill the holes that Rodri normally would have covered. And if you might remember, Gundogan is one of the top scorers in the whole Premier League this season. Um, He had that incredible run of eight goals in nine games. And so he wasn't able to make any of his runs from deep. So City lost a goal scoring threat. And not only that, but Gundogan doesn't know how to play defensive mid. So he got, as you would expect, pulled out of position on a few occasions. And the the play that eventually led to the Chelsea goal is one where I think you could tell there was way too much space there in the middle where Mount was. So obviously that didn't work out. And then again, I think Foden, like I said, has been really dangerous in that left forward spot. So to move him out of that for Sterling, who was really out of form, was, you know, didn't really make any sense, to be honest. But also, like I'm saying, in hindsight, yes, he overthought it. 
But in my opinion, I don't blame Pep at all. I don't think it matters. I think that this team still should have won the game. And I think that what he did was, um, as one of our friends said, he went for the kill. He wanted to score three goals in the first 20 minutes, put this thing away. There was just attacking all over the field. When I saw the lineup, I was excited because I thought that it was exactly what was going to happen. And I really liked that he wasn't going to sit back and let Chelsea surprise him, but rather just go for the game. And as it happened, it didn't work out. And that is what it is. Um, the decisions he made were mistakes, but I don't blame him for making them. He took a risk. And, and on this day, Chelsea happened to play a perfect game at the same time. Yeah, I will say with the Rodri thing, too, he, he would be a, a Conte, as we said, was all over the field, um, as he is, but like even more so in this game. And I feel like Rodri may have been a better match for him than, uh, than, than Gunduan in that, in that position. Yeah. So off of this game, what are your predictions for Chelsea in the premier league next season? Do you actually think that they're going to capture first or where do you see them falling? You have to think that the momentum is really there for them. I, the problem is that city just have so much depth that I'm just, and, and Chelsea doesn't have bad depth as it is. Um, but uh, if, I will say, I guess the X factor for me is if Warner can finish in front of the net because um, he gets himself into such a great position and he just can't finish. But so if he finish, if he, if he picks up his game, if he becomes that, you know, 20, 20, 25 goal scorer in the boon, that he was in the Bundesliga, then, then I think they win the league. But I also don't know if that'll happen. Um, and City, like you said, has they just have like three teams of pretty starting caliber players. So that that in itself, with the amount of competitions that Chelsea and City have to play, I think that'll factor in. Um, I think that'll that'll make that'll make it difficult for Chelsea to win. I fully expect them in the top four again, but I, I don't think they will. Um, I don't see the. I don't see them winning first. Um, and I don't think United will either. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be their year yet. Uh, so I, I see City winning this thing again. But it's really good momentum for to win this final for Chelsea. I think it bodes well for them yeah. in FA Cup and, and Champions League next year. Yeah, I think it's fantastic for them that they got this win. But I'm absolutely not worried about them at all in the Premier League next year. For a few reasons most of their success on the back half of this year has been built on those ugly 1-0 victories um, and I just don't think that that's sustainable over the length of a Premier League season and I also think that after you win a title like this you get a target on your back so City the only reason that they've been able to win so many Premier League titles in a row essentially is because they're constantly changing so I agree with you about if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it when it comes to a one-game cup final, for sure. Uh, but when it comes to a new Premier League season where teams have uh, all summer to prepare and you have to actually string together 30 great games, I think that you need to change. And that's what Pep always does. He's always bringing in competition for players. Aguero, you know, is one of the best goal scorers in Premier League history. But... Pep brought in Gabriel Jesus to give him competition, for example. 
Sterling at sometimes looks like a top three player in the world, but then, you know, we have plenty of other guys who can fill in for him because obviously sometimes he can fall off. So Chelsea, I think that whatever they're doing right now has been fantastic, but they're going to need to stay creative and come up with new ways to win, which I don't see them being able to do over the length of a premier league season. And also, like you said, now they're, they've got themselves into new competitions. So go ahead and play Champions League games in the middle middle of a week and see how how much more that depth becomes important. Um, yeah, I think I would agree with you. I'm not worried about Chelsea in the Premier League. Uh, and uh, I was gonna say Pulisic. I was I was I was actually really I saw the I saw the highlights and I was like oh I can't believe he missed that one. I I don't know if you saw that specific one where he was kind of on a breakaway. It was like a two on Technically a two-on-two, but he was ahead of his defender. It was a tough finish, but he, he couldn't quite put it away. I have no, like, rooting towards um, – I have no rooting attachment or attachment to Chelsea at all, but I, I do like to see American players do well. Um, so it would have been would have been cool to see him score. Uh, and, yeah. it, it's, and I guess it, I guess it didn't matter anyways, but it really would have put the game to bed. This is kind of a hot take, but I am actually – pretty annoyed by the media obsession with Pulisic because like I understand that the U.S. is like uh, the most prominent country in the world in most facets but for soccer god we're not even close yet like we didn't even qualify for the World Cup so I just get kind of annoyed with like I go on ESPN and we're talking about the Champions League final between Chelsea and Man City and there's like three videos of pundits talking about how there's Americans playing the game. Like Pulisic obviously is actually important for Chelsea, so that's fair. But they're talking about Zach Steffen, who is Man City's like backup keeper. Um, <laughs> personally, I think it, I think it goes a little bit overboard with the whole Americans are starting to be relevant in soccer. So I kind of get annoyed with it a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you can't deny that it's it's a it's a positive sign for a country that has a long way to go, but um, is, is making some baby steps in world football. I think the fact that I feel like it's just, I feel like, well, A, it's ESPN's a very American centered company. Um, even if they have some international, uh, international, uh, branches and stuff, I feel like it's very American centered. So that is to be expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like on BBC or anything like, or any other, like, um, mainly like football related web- website you're not going to see you're not going to see that type of uh coverage but uh but i will say it is a good sign that in a sense that this is happening even if it's a little nauseating at times because it, it shows the strides that americans are making in um in the realm of in the realm of world football yeah yeah that's a good point that's a good point so yeah, that that game happened. Uh, very painful, but you know we move on. Yeah, I'll, I'll I, I tried to keep it at a minimum given given <laughs> the fact that uh, Barca's success is is non-existent at the moment. So, uh, so quick shout That's out right. to uh, not not really a shout out, but quick. Uh, what's the opposite of a shout out? Like, like I just want to mm-hmm. bash them. I mean, what are you doing, Lester? Like. How, how did you mess this up? You needed one point in your last like two games, and you got none. 
and you let Chelsea and uh, who else pass them? Uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. You let Liverpool and Chelsea pass you off of an Allison goal. Like <laughs> the Allison goal was the difference between Liverpool making it and Liverpool. So I I don't know what to say. I don't know how you messed that up. Uh, you won the FA Cup, good, but. If you want to be respected as like a, a perennial contender, then you're going to need – you needed that Champions League spot. Yeah. We're talking about a Liverpool team who was sniffing around 8th to 10th place for like much of the season. That Liverpool, that's the one that you let pass you. And this also wasn't like a something that should have caught them by surprise because, oh, right, it happened to them last season. So uh, what an embarrassment. And it's just sad. like. I don't know. The club, the club has been doing so many things right, but you can't keep shooting yourself in the foot and ex- expect success to continue. I keep rooting for the smaller clubs to, I guess, overcome the the system of European football to to become larger clubs. And Leicester is like my that the best thing, the best like the closest thing to to I guess the Gonzaga story. Um, at the moment uh and i just i just want them to do it and it's just they just keep messing it up when it matters the most and they just need that mental fortitude is not there and i don't know if it's the players or it's brendan rogers or it's a combination of them because brendan rogers had some missteps when he was at liverpool as well um maybe the club is the club getting too big for brendan rogers um uh, the, the, if you remember the towering Scotsman, uh, Matt, who's on this show, was telling me that like Brendan Rodgers thrives in this like smaller type club. And I, I'm wondering if the club is getting kind of too big for him or the lights are getting too big for him. Uh, is there any you think there's any traction with that? Um, I think that there is probably a lot of truth to that, actually. But I, I really wonder, like what they will slash can do about it you know because if I'm a big name manager I don't know how many of them are actually going to take the Leicester job um I think it, it would be a risky move for most successful managers like obviously if you're like a Jose Mourinho you're going to jump on that because the days of Jose having his choice between Madrid Bayern Chelsea jobs are long gone now he's suddenly clawing for jobs like Wolves so if you want one of those guys, you know, they could, they could probably get him. But as for like a world-class manager, I'm not sure Leicester can get that guy because again, they've just failed to qualify for the champions league again. Um, so as for right now, I don't think that there's anything to do about it, but I think it is definitely something that they should monitor for the coming season. And if they get off to a slow start, then maybe it is time for a change. And that doesn't always have to be saying that you think your manager is bad. Again, sometimes change is just needed. Chelsea got rid of Lampard, and obviously things have worked out very well for them. So for me, I think it's just something to to monitor in Leicester. I feel like Leicester is more likely to get a manager that kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to get him specifically, but an example of him would be like a Gerard. Um, somebody who kind of does well at a lower team, really well for Gerard, um, as we were saying on last episode. Uh, but uh, obviously they're not going to get Gerard because 
if any he goes anywhere in the prem it's going to be liverpool but um exactly but something like that where it's kind of a guy who's kind of up and coming type of thing and that's that's what they're more likely to get uh yeah it could definitely be very successful for them or like to throw another couple of names out there if if for some reason arsenal tired of arteta they could grab arteta um or if they could convince Unai Emery, who just won the Europa League with, with Villarreal, maybe they could grab him. Just a couple other other names that we could throw out there. I guess it's not all it's not all like no names, but but um but yeah, it's a it's a tough position to be in if you're Leicester. But I was just really hoping they'd get it done this year. Uh, and uh, another team that I really hope was getting it done would be uh, Napoli. I mean, oh. I was here for the content. I was really here for the content when Juventus got kicked out of the Champions League, and then you messed it up, Napoli. You lost to – I don't even remember who you lost to. Verona. Verona. Oh, my God. Yeah. You drew no, – you drew them. Sorry, you drew them, but that was enough to kick you out of the Champions League. I cannot believe that you messed that up. I, I have – yeah. I, I don't actually watch them in real life a lot, but I play with them frequently on FIFA and I kind of have mm. like somewhat of an emotional attachment to the, to Napoli to do decently. Mm. And they, they just, they just, they just didn't, I was just, I wanted to see all what would happen with Ronaldo and stuff, but I guess we won't see. Yeah. Napoli on FIFA is fantastic. And regardless, we were all Napoli fans for a day. We just needed Napoli to do their job and do the public service of keeping Juventus and Ronaldo out of the Champions League, just just for the just for the memes of it all. Um, but yeah, I actually watched again the highlights of this game. Verona's goal was actually really good, uh, so that was that was credit to this mid-table Italian team on that. And then Napoli actually had a last gasp header to win the game, which went just wide, which we could have been having a completely different conversation right now of, wow, you know, with the last touch of the game, Napoli eliminate Juve. And, oh, how I wish we were having that conversation. But I guess it just shows you that this is a game of inches um, where uh, Allison's header for Liverpool ends up catapulting them into Champions League place and putting Leicester out. Versus this header for Napoli didn't quite land, and now, um, you know, rolling out the red carpet for Juve for Champions League. So it is a game of inches after all. Yeah, wow. Um, I was also going to say that uh, um, I was more worried about that Atalanta Milan game, and Milan ended up getting it done. So I, I don't know. It just it would have been interesting to see what would happen, but I guess we will never know now. Um, I, I yeah. certainly expect Ronaldo to stay now. I don't expect there to be any any movement um, on that front. You know what this was? This was a group project where two people pulled their weight and then one kid was just not doing anything. So Milan and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting what was the other team that, that had to do their job and did. Um. Uh, wait, wait, what was it? It wasn't Atalanta. Wasn't was it? Was Atalanta was technically involved? Um, was it like, uh, 
Yeah, it was just Atalanta had to lose. <laughs> that was their that was their homework. Yeah, okay, got you. And then and then whoever was playing Juve also could have done us a favor. But yeah, at the end of the day, Napoli, you you really screwed up and 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 you let us down, but it's all right. You'll get them next time. Uh, will they get them next time? We'll see. No, this was a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Uh, oh, well. Well, this has been a lot of good soccer coverage. Um, but if we do have a few minutes, I would love to throw in a little bit of bonus NBA since the NBA playoffs are underway. What do you think of that? I think that's a great idea. I just want to shout out that the Leafs are actually the biggest the, – the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> Or the, they might be the most. They must be. The, I feel. I feel so bad for anybody in Toronto right now because, I mean, as an NC State fan, I know what it's like to be disappointed for years and years and years. <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. But Twitter was a. It was a fun 24 hours on Twitter. I will say. Yeah, it's actually just hilarious at this point, and I love the way that all your quote unquote shout outs are just bashing teams. So. Thanks for that. I don't know. Maybe we should make it a weekly segment. I'm really enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should. Oh, man. Just who, who, bottlers of the week, perhaps. Yeah. Bottle- so let, it, let, us, let us know if you're listening and you want to hear a bottlers of the week segment. But yeah, yeah I'd be totally so it, to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, NBA. So the playoffs have already kicked off. Um, sorry, we couldn't get you um, this content before the playoffs had kicked off. Um, but I, I had a just had a few questions of what, what you think. So first, I was going to ask about the play-in system. I know this won't be a reoccurring thing, but I wanted to ask your opinion on it. Okay, so before the games, I thought it was absolutely idiotic, and I hated it with a fiery, burning passion because. Oh, oh my God. I just hate it. Like, why would the number seven seed have to play two games for the chance to like keep their spot in the playoffs? So like, imagine this, if the number seven seed had like eight more wins than the number uh, nine seed, if they have two bad days or an injury happens or someone hasn't recovered from an injury yet, or, you know, any number of things, or just some lucky shot goes in off the backboard, they could lose their chance um, to compete in the playoffs, which is enormous because it's money. It's um, this. It's money for the city. It's uh, brand for the players. So I, I think it's stupid and I hate it. But at the same time, I followed the games, the play-in games this year, and it actually was really fun to watch. Um, we actually had. A Warriors versus Lakers game that was meaningful, which was awesome because we got to see Steph Curry and LeBron. And so it was actually a lot of fun to follow. So I'm coming around a little bit, just like if I'm a neutral fan and these games are happening, then that's great. It's it's interesting. But uh, <laughs> with my team, the Celtics in the play-in, it was just stressful and I hated it. But I, uh, Overall, I think I was pleasantly surprised with with the with how the games went. 
it was strange because it was kind of against like a typical NBA model um, where I feel like they don't focus. They, they try to make sure that the best team always wins. That's, that's, that seems like the point of these seven-game series every single round. Um, so it did seem like an unusual departure from that. Um, but as, as somebody that typically likes college basketball and the type of like, I guess, one game take all type of games that they normally play, it, it was, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, and it's not really going to be a reoccurring thing. So it's, it's just, uh, it was just a fun thing this year. And I think it was, you know, you have to, you have to adapt from this, from the, because of all the COVID mess. So uh, same thing with the hockey division. It's kind of like, oh, you, you know, you have to deal with it one year and everything will be normal next year. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it was a risk because I feel like if somehow Steph's team and LeBron's team both end up missing out on the playoffs, like that just would have been a disaster scenario for the NBA. So maybe like bullet dodged there. But overall, it's pretty fun. So, yeah. Um, actually, I can shift the question to LeBron. He's on the; they're on the verge of elimination at the moment. The Suns are up three to two in the series. Is if well, do you think that they'll come back and win the series? And if they don't, then what is the chances? What What does this say about LeBron's career? Is it Is it finally winding down? So for the first part, I think they're not going to come back in this series. And the one and only reason I think that is because Anthony Davis is not healthy in any way, shape, or form. And I actually believe that Anthony Davis's career might end before LeBron's. I think that he is in serious trouble with the sorts of injuries he's been facing, the worst of which has been back spasms, which is a pretty scary thing for an athlete. So I'm very worried about Anthony Davis, but reeling it back to this series in particular without Davis, um, he might not even play game six, but if he does, he's obviously going to be super limited. The Lakers don't have enough to beat this Suns team. LeBron on the brink of elimination is a whole nother animal. And I don't deny that, but they just don't have enough role players surrounding LeBron and AD to get this done. And that's because it was never their plan to have to do this, to win this championship without AD. Um, Putting this team together was always, okay, we have our core of a healthy LeBron and a healthy AD. Who can we surround them with that can just do enough to, um, to, to let LeBron and AD be their best and facilitate other people and just hit open shots. But, Unfortunately, if, if AD is not healthy, this is a good Suns team. Chris Paul doesn't even have to do that much in the way of scoring. He just has to facilitate. Devin Booker is going to get you 25 to 30. DeAndre Ayton is surprisingly no slouch. He can get you 20 points, 10 rebounds. Um, Bridges is no slouch either. So this series is over for the Lakers. They're not going to win this. And so for LeBron... I think that there are actually a lot of question marks here. And the biggest of which is this LeBron AD pairing. And if it's going to be enough to get another championship because of Davis's health. And again, if it's not going to be enough, who else can they bring in 
at this point in time, I can't tell you um, because I don't know who's going to be available and how much money it's going to cost. So I think LeBron is in serious danger of not actually winning another championship at this moment. Things could definitely change. Um, There's a lot more news to come over the summer, but at this point in time, I think LeBron should be worried and he's going to have to play his best um, in these final two games. I don't think he did that in game five. He looked a little bit disinterested. So we're going to have to see the usual brink of elimination, LeBron, if they're going to have any chance. I don't know the feasibility of it, but I mean, I feel like a player like Bradley Beal would be a, a really good piece for the Lakers. Um, I just yeah, don't know the show. feasibility yeah. of getting, getting him there. So. Mm-hmm. It could yeah. happen, but I feel like he, he would be the type of player that LeBron would really play well with. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and uh, uh, Shifting over to the East, uh, will, will Giannis finally break through this year? Do you see it happening? Yes. Yes, I do, actually. I have it written down right in front of me. Um, I do think he will. So the Bucks this year have enough of a big three. It is not the Nets' big three. Let's be, like, completely clear about that. But it's enough. They've got Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. So Giannis, we're talking about a two-time league MVP now who has yet to really bring it in the playoffs. But I think he's ready now. And the fact is the Bucks have already slayed their demon of last season. They beat the Heat team that knocked them out shockingly four to one, but that was bubble play. We're never going to see anything like bubble NBA ever again. And that was just something else. But here back in the real NBA playoffs, the Bucks have already slayed their demon. They took care of the heat convincingly. And um, next up though, they, they are going to be facing the net and you know, most people would say that the favorite in this is the Nets because their big three is simply much better. They've got Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. So when I look at that big three, I see Harden, who is a prolific scorer, who has never shown us clutch playoff basketball. I see Kyrie, who in his life, and his list of priorities, basketball, is probably number three or four or five. Uh, the dude just has other things going on that, you know, he allows to to kind of distract him and, and whatever. And you can say whatever you want about that. But, yeah, so Kyrie um, has a lot of other things going on. Kevin Durant, I've always been a huge believer in, and I really like KD. But he is coming off of an injury, and he has to share the ball. And then the Bucks. So Giannis is someone who does it all. So he scores, rebounds, and now finally they've surrounded him with outside shooters. So he has P.J. Tucker and Pat Connaughton. So hopefully Giannis will actually stop shooting threes. <laughs> That's something that he has always done which like I respect that he's trying to develop that because if he did, it would be really dangerous, but this is a playoff. So save that for the summer if you can. Um, so he stops doing that, does what he's best at and lets these, these other guys hit down, hit outside shots. 
I actually think the Bucks can outscore the Nets, and that's really all you have to do. It doesn't matter how many points Irving, Harden, and Durant score. It doesn't matter what the big three does. I still think the Bucks can can outscore them. So this is definitely going seven games, but I'm taking the Nets, or rather, I'm taking the Bucks. And then once they do that, they're going to have to beat the 76ers, which I'm I'm guessing the 76ers will be there, which again won't be easy, but unfortunately, it's really unfortunate too. Embiid is not healthy during this playoffs, and Ben Simmons is still a a player lacking an important dimension, which is shooting. So I think oh, that yeah. the Bucks yeah. can, yeah, <laughs> it is slightly important, right, in basketball, shooting the ball into the net. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he uh, he actually <laughs> at the end of 2020, he actually made a three, and I think that really like capped off the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if we thought we'd seen it all, but there it was. Ben Simmons saying the three. So, yeah. Um, long story short, I do actually think the Bucks are going to break through this year. Uh, the, the, I guess the, I was going to ask you about Harden, but I guess the question's kind of already been answered. I was, he had this like narrative that they, he's not the type of player that's going to win you a championship. He's more of like, he's, he's like a Westbrook. Like I'm going to, get my stats and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I think the possibility is that he might be on a mission this year to try to change that. And, um, and I feel like that it could make it difficult for the bucks. Cause I feel like Harden is extra motivated given, you know, there's a lot been said about Harden about his defense, about his ability to play well in the playoffs. I, I think stay in shape. I think that's gonna that's gonna factor in. So we'll yeah. see. It'll be a really fun series. The thing I would like push back on though is like I I actually agree that that's gonna happen, but is that gonna end up helping or hurting the Nets? Where in my opinion, Kevin Durant is their undisputed best championship caliber player. So if James Harden is playing ISO ball, you know, is is Kevin Durant's effectiveness actually gonna decrease? Where you know, Durant is usually a more efficient scorer and someone that essentially can't be stopped. Um, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, like, are Irving and Harden, when it really comes down to it, going to start having a little bit of a power struggle? Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see. We know Irving has that personality because he he left Cleveland because he didn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron. And who on this earth doesn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron? I mean, you can't really argue that he's he's the top dog. Like, you know, well, Irving's being, on Irving's not on this earth. He's on the flat earth. Yeah, exactly. So, will sanity reign for the Nets? We'll see. We'll see. I think the Bucks will get it done. Uh, the Clippers are another interesting talking point. Uh, I think I think it's really strange that they've they kind of people were like oh the league is in trouble you know when they originally like got the team together and everything and it has not panned out that way uh, is there I mean it's already a two two series um, at the moment be- between them and the Mavs I mean do they even have what it takes what what are the are they missing a piece um, do they need to remove a piece. That's a good question. So I do have them winning this series with the Mavs. I think that they're going to 
get that done, no problem. Kawhi and Paul George are more than enough to beat Luka at this stage in his career. No offense to Luka. And they also do have playoff Rondo, which doesn't hurt. So as for the question of if they're missing a piece, I'm going to go ahead and say no. Um, Like, I don't think that the correct answer for them is to bring in a third star and make a big three. I think the fact is that Paul George, while he is an awesome, awesome player, is not a championship player. Um, Just because he's a a two-way player, but he also needs a lot of the ball and um, somewhat lacks the clutch factor, um, which just really is what it is. And then Kawhi, for all of his great qualities, has this issue of load management. Half the time he's not even playing, which means that he can't develop chemistry with his teammates, which means that come playoff time, you know, we're in this situation where they've got a lot of great names on the stat sheet, but it's really just not coming together in real life. And, you know, part of that is because Kawhi is only playing half the games during the season and he's never really been that outspoken leader. So, for me, I think the Clippers are a really great team. And if they stayed together, they would be awesome. Maybe even make a Western Conference Finals. But I think that they should probably just blow this thing up and try again somewhere else. Um, or if you're the Clippers, try again with different people. I just don't think that this is going to work. Hmm. Chemistry issue, I see. Um, I guess my only pushback is that, do you think that, or I think that it's possible that, that while Paul George might not be the championship caliber player that you need as like the second option type of thing. Do uh, you think like he could thrive in that sort of third role, like a Kyrie Irving type role um, where you have more of a second option and it does second option doesn't always have to be a scorer. It could be like a Chris Paul type player. Um, that's why um, that's kind of what I, I guess my question is. So you think it's just you you think it's like completely irreversible type of thing they just need to they just need to try again yeah you you've actually named a really good example in chris paul because i think he's one of the rare guys in the nba who can make anyone better or any team better um so that's actually a really interesting idea and if you added chris paul to the clippers i think that i would really have to reevaluate um because that would be a big time move. But again, um, I guess the only other thing I could cite would be health. Chris Paul and Kawhi both have their health problems. So I think that there there's even a possibility that even that team isn't enough. Uh, my uh, <clears throat> my Chris, uh, or I guess I mean, Chris Paul is just uh, he's been. Uh, I think it's incredible. Every team he's gone to, like, he's revitalized them. Like, the OKC sucks now, but they were, like, a playoff team last year be- just because of him. It's it's actually incredible. I've gained a lot more respect for him in the yeah, sense of, like, lot. what he's been able to do. Yep, yeah. and if he doesn't get hurt in uh, Game 7, he his Houston Rockets are probably NBA champions back when they, they played the Warriors in the Western Conference Final and he got hurt, so... Yeah, definitely Chris Paul has a really awesome track record. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the final thing I'm going to ask you is, 
First, give me a couple of bold predictions. You already said talked about the Giannis thing, but give me a couple of bold predictions, and then give me your your finals prediction. Okay. So I can't reveal my finals yet. So let me save that bold prediction. Um, this is a tough one. To think of on the spot. Oh, I've got one. I've got the Blazers making the second round. I think that they're going to come back um, from their deficit and bounce the Nuggets actually in the first round. So this is surprising because Jokic is in most people's mind considered the NBA MVP. And the Nuggets are a pretty deep team. They got Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline. Um, and they really just have a, a multitude of, of great players who have been playing well together. But I've got the, I've got the Blazers because, my God, the playoff game is, is, is something else. He, he just gets it done down the stretch. And I, I really like C.J. McCollum, too. So um, kind of like for two reasons. The Nuggets, I think, aren't the same um, after after some of the injuries that they face. Even though Michael Porter Jr. is ascending on the offensive end, I don't think that they're going to be able to defend well enough uh, to to stop the Blazers. And I think that Dame is just going to do his thing. And he's 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 done with this getting bounced in the first round. Like he's going to win at least one series. So I've got the Blazers beating the Nugs as my surprising pick. And for my final there, I actually have the jazz and the bucks and the bucks coming out on top. And this one, exactly. So the jazz were the number one team in the NBA regular season, but you, it just feels weird to put them in the NBA finals. It really does. Um, Just because, I mean, it's not, it's not like a huge market team or anything. It's just the Utah Jazz, but they they have all the pieces that they need to get it done in this year's West, meaning the West where LeBron is losing in the first round. So you don't have to worry about the Lakers. The Suns are great, but probably not quite there yet. Um, and then the Clippers are having some inexplicable issues of their own. So, you know, Gobert, Conley, Mitchell, Joe Ingles, uh, that's, that's a really great team. Add on some other guys like O'Neal and Derek Favors. I think they're going to have enough to make the finals. No way am I taking the Jazz, though, to beat the Bucks in the finals. That's interesting because I think the main reason why we got such a, like, a, such a strange-looking standings where we had, like, the, uh, where we had the Suns and the Jazz, like, on top of the West, kind of, not, like, completely out of left field, but, like, still like unexpected in terms of standings is it's partially because before the before the whole Harden big three thing happened um every 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 team just had a duo um of superstars and I think that made the NBA a little more unpredictable um it made it a and it and still might make these this this fine uh playoffs completely unpredictable so um so yeah I think it'll be really interesting playoffs in that sense yeah, definitely. I mean, long gone are the days of Warriors versus Cavs finals every single year. So um, hopefully the Nets don't become so good that the league becomes uncompetitive because if that doesn't happen, I think it could be really exciting. 
with lots of new ascending teams, Jazz, Suns, Bucks, and the Sixers still very much around. Um, I think it could be a really, really interesting next few years for the NBA. Yeah, it's super fascinating. I actually had some doubts about it. I had some doubts about like small market teams viabilities, given the player freedom you have in the NBA, the ability to kind of go wherever you want, but it appears some of these small markets are starting to break through. So um, yeah, I guess they can prove me wrong. I guess it's just where the one good player is so much more important in basketball than it is for football and small market teams or whoever is losing gets a, a high lottery pick. And when you, if you're the Hornets and you draft LaMelo ball, he's going to make you instantly miles and miles better. So I think that's one thing that's kind of been um, preventing the, the, the reality that you were afraid of seeing there. That's a fair point. Uh, I guess I hadn't thought of that one completely. Uh, differences between, I guess, um, American football and, uh, and basketball there. Uh, but uh, uh, you have anything else for today? No, I think we're good. Yeah, we've covered a lot. Um, even got some some bonus basketball content in there. So pretty happy about that. I made it through the the city segment without without uh, breaking down or anything. So that's that's always positive. And yeah, looking forward to um, getting some more news out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, should be good. If you if you liked what you heard, uh, feel free to share with with anybody you know. Um, we'll be, we'll see you in, uh, two weeks. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, everyone.